0: Uh, reading today is from Acts four, uh, verses one to thirty-one. It's on page one thousand ninety-three, and the Bible's in front of you. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening. but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with jesus but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them there was nothing they could say so they ordered them to withdraw from the sanhedrin and then conferred together what are we going to do with these men they asked everyone living in jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. (coughs) Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, folks, as our guest speaker, uh, Michael, makes his way up to the stage, would you please give him a warm St Matthews welcome? Thank you.
1: Thanks, Scott. It's great to be with you here this morning. Um, do we have uh, religious freedom in Australia? It's a bit like asking whether it's cold this morning. I, uh, I grew up in Bathurst, uh, minus nine. Yeah, we, we get that each, each winter there. Uh, but I moved from Bathurst uh, to Canberra. Uh, So there's ice running through these veins, uh, and the idea of it being cold, it's it's a relative thing, it depends what you're used to. Religious freedom is a bit like that as well. Do we have religious freedom in Australia? Is that changing? See, what if you ask the question of um, my friend who who lives in the Middle East, who has converted from a Muslim background to become Christian, and lives in fear uh, that his brother will find him? and uh, that honour would demand that that he be killed, you know? Um, There is a a fellow who has a very different situation. Measured against that, why are we talking this morning? Of course we have freedom. Did anyone fear uh, walking in here this morning that they'd be impeded or that they'd suffer harm or that their family would kind of think worse of them? It's not like that, is it? We do need to think about a kind of global uh, and historical perspective when we come to questions of freedom. Um, We need to, and this is what I'm going to try and do this morning, avoid two errors. One is being uh, so alarmist and kind of fearful that we beat up stories that are a bit like kind of fake news, that all of a sudden everything is, you know, a threat to our freedoms and in fact it's just stuff which is changing. The other danger is that of naivety, of saying, well, there's nothing at all going on. Uh, I think avoiding both errors, we're able at the moment to say that we do live in times of remarkable change when it comes to freedom, that some of the freedom which we've taken for granted for a long time, uh, they are being challenged, they are being uh, uh, pushed against and we may uh, come into different situations again. Religious freedom is the ability for someone to have a belief, uh, it might be Anglican, uh, it could be Zoroastrian, it could be anything in between, or, or even for someone to say, I choose not to have a belief. Uh, for the ability of someone to have that uh, and to change to another belief, to live out that belief in, in public kind of ways, that's what we're talking about when it comes to religious freedom. And I think it has been something that we have kind of taken for granted. We haven't been in the situation that my friend in the, in the Middle East has been in. Uh, and I think Bruce is right as well to say that five years ago, who would have thought that this would be a topic we're speaking about? But now you can almost see it in the news every other week. Uh, if you think back over the last couple of months and you see the Margaret Court uh, comments on Qantas, you see the, um, the video that the Bible Society did before that with uh, Coopers, uh, you see... Uh, the terrible uh, events that took place in Egypt with the murder of the the Coptic Christians uh, going to pray. You see it in debates about citizenship here and immigration and whether or not the government should be looking to the uh, faith and cultural origins of of different people. But away from the news, I think uh, people are feeling as though the times are changing, that they're not enjoying the same kind of uh, freedom, that, that kind of outing yourself as, as a Christian is, a, is something that could come at a, a social cost, depending on your kind of friendship group and your postcode. Um, it could well be something that um, comes at a cost for you. I think of a, a teacher friend who has stopped wearing a cross to the school that she teaches at. Now, it's not a school policy that said you must not wear a cross. It's not as though the law has changed or anything like that. It's just that she's realised, because she's a good teacher and she kind of knows how these things work, that when she's meeting with parents, um, her wearing a cross actually causes more problems than it's worth. Now, she doesn't have to wear a cross out of conviction. doesn't feel as though she has to because of her beliefs. But she knows that they will think less of her if she wears a cross, that her credibility will kind of drop and her ability to engage with them as parents of the children that she's trying to teach has changed. Now, that wouldn't have happened even a decade ago. What's taken place that all of a sudden it makes sense for her to think, I'll choose not to wear the cross? What's going on in culture that's allowed that to happen? Uh, I don't know if you read the Manly Daily during the week. Did you see the headline uh, story that that came out that said, Losing Our Religion, uh, Northern Beaches Residents Hit by Lack of Faith? And then it says, It's Faith No More on the Northern Beaches, with one in three people identifying with having no religion. Uh, Picking up the news about the census data and uh, that, that showed, beyond manly, 52% of Australians identifying in some way with uh, being Christian, and you might think that's, that sounds like a big number, uh, one in two, but it wasn't that long ago, 1991, when it was 74%. So a drop from kind of three quarters to half in that period of time. Um, and for youth, the figures are kind of even, even more dramatic. And at the same time, the amount of people who are hitting the no religion option uh, has skyrocketed. It's, it's gone from uh, something uh, like about 16% to 29% over that same period of time. So doubling of people who are now saying no religion. That's more than any individual kind of Christian group. Some minority faiths growing um, uh, at the same time. But the big message is that, that Christianity is declining that um, no religion is kind of growing. And that story is repeated through the West. You know, uh, for the first time in Western culture, we are seeing a kind of voluntary walking away by many, many people uh, of an identification with Christianity. Now, you've got all kinds of questions about, well, is it genuine faith? And what well, is 52%, and if 52% of the northern beaches were here, we wouldn't have room for chairs. But, you know, we, something is going on which is big, something which is driving, kind of the examination of books like you know, Benedict Option in, in the States and stuff like that. By itself, it's not necessarily a religious freedom issue. It might just be that stuff's changing. But those numbers alone don't tell the story. It's also that there's a, a level of intensity... Uh, and disdain for Christianity that is coming from the um, particularly progressive secular elites that wasn't around that long ago. Um, It's getting harder to be a Christian, but it's getting even harder to be a Christian in public life. Uh, The West Australian... Politician Andrew Hastie was uh, uh, grilled uh, when he went into, into politicians uh, by a, a group of uh, journalists who were saying to them, are you a Christian? Uh, are you an evangelical? Uh, they, they were trying to do, do it almost as a gotcha piece. But the thing that struck me about that was that in the States, uh, that would be a positive thing. You know, to be able to show your Christian credentials and that you are evangelical showed that you had, you know, a reasonable big support base. Here, or at least in in Western Australia, are you an evangelical was seen as something to trap him with. Like, if you are, then of course you're fundamentalist and you're bigoted and you're seventh day creationist and you're anti science and all these things come with it once you identify in that kind of way. So something is kind of shifting there. Now, is that is that just me? <laughs> Or, or have you felt those kind of things as well? I've seen a few knots. Um, now, I don't want to overplay it. I, I don't want to make that too strong. This is not the situation uh, of, of China or North Korea, but I don't want to downplay it and dismiss it either. I, I want you to think about the times when you've been in that situation, if you're a person of faith, that you've felt, oh, actually, this would be hard to kind of um, come out publicly uh, in this way. And I think the, the reason there's been a shift is that it wasn't that long ago that people would see being Australian is quite consistent, being an Australian citizen quite consistent with uh, being uh, Jewish or being Christian. Uh, and that, that kind of set of values was quite in line with what it meant uh, to be just part of what most people believed. No real deep sense of conflict between being a good Australian citizen and being a good follower of Jesus. Now that brought its own problems, you know, people would confuse being good with being Christian and we want to say that there, that's not the same thing, it's all about following Jesus and what he's done. Um, But that situation is not the world we live in anymore. It's not as though people think being a good Australian and and being a good Christian uh, is the same kind of thing. Um, in this growing secular age, Christians uh, are, uh, and, and their beliefs are being dismissed not just as kind of foolish or, or wrong or ones that I wouldn't hold for myself, but also as things which actually may not be good for society, actually may be harmful uh, to uh, the city and and. and Uh, and to our kids. Um, There's a movement which some people have described as seeing Christianity no longer as kind of this moral force within society, a moral minority perhaps, you'd say, in Australia, but instead as something which is not good, but but in fact bad, something which is in the way of progress, something which um, doesn't hold on to the beliefs which we see as being better today. Um, some people have even said it's like Christians have suddenly turned into evil atheists. <laughs> right? Evil because it's not good, but in fact there's something evil about this. Because these are people that judge others. These are people that are um, uh, doing harmful things. Uh, and they'll, they'll pull out the history of the church and show examples of that. But atheists, how does that work? Well, atheists, because they don't believe in the things that we value, in the gods of the city around, if you you like it in that way. These are the ones who are opposing the things that we would do in the name of equality, in the name of freedom. Uh, and, And so we need to see them for kind of what they are. And the fascinating thing about that is that puts us much back, that puts us back towards almost the world of the first century, where Christians were described as atheists because they didn't believe in the gods of the city around, where their uh, talk against sexual immorality, uh, their care for the poor, their refusal to bow down to the idols, saw them viewed with great suspicion, saw the state want to take steps to monitor, to watch, and eventually to persecute this kind of group. And they needed to show in that setting what it meant to be Good citizens, not just of heaven, but good citizens of this world, and how it is that they were to be um, loving the neighbour around in, in legitimate kind of ways. But the issue they face, uh, if you're out of step with the culture, you're going to face problems, is, is one that still faces us today. You know, you, you get out of step and um, you, you start getting viewed with suspicion. I, I was doing a, um, uh, a talk with. Uh, a, a training thing with, with youth at our church um, and we, we were talking about this and they kept telling me story after story about just how tough it is for them in school now, being Christian. How tough it is to kind of stand up for Jesus. And you kind of feel like, well isn't it always like that? You know. So again, I, I don't want to go down that alarmist route but also don't want to be naive. I want to listen carefully to what they're saying. And uh, while we were there, uh, I went to get supper and uh, the back of the church fridge, uh, I found this carton of milk. And I don't know how long it had been there, but it, you know when it, it goes well past the years by date and the, it starts to expand out, right, the, the bottle and the, the different levels is kind of starting to grow things in the milk. And uh, this thing, uh, I, I brought it out to them, and covered it up. I said, this is kind of what it looks like now. You know how people see Christianity. It's like this: is, it used to be good. It used to be something that we'd all happily take part in. But now you look at this same thing and you think that's actually pretty dangerous. And and the best thing to do would be to kind of make sure that's removed and away from children who might mistake it for something that's safe. You know, um, that's the kind of shift that took place that that's taken place. And maybe we're not quite at that point. Maybe we're at the point where people are kind of sniffing and doing the sniff test on the milk and saying, is this safe to kind of, you know? That's the kind of moment that I think we're in at the moment, where there's a contest of ideas about whether or not Christianity is a good thing or a bad thing. And we need to make the case that, yep, we need to be honest about the history and say, um, yeah, there are some terrible things that have taken place, but we also need to be honest and say, hey, look... Here's the good side of that story as well. And this is why Jesus is wonderful. This is why it's worth following. And this is what great community kind of looks like. Um, how is it that this, this thing has shifted and it shifted so quickly? Let me quickly give you a few reasons why I think, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about how we respond to this kind of situation. I think it's, it's not that hard to figure out some of it when it comes to religious freedom. I think... Um, 9-11 and the ongoing kind of acts of violent Islamic jihadism that have followed since then say to anyone, uh, why would you let people have religious freedom if they're going to use it to kill people in the name of religion? Like The danger of one bad religion means all religions kind of get caught up on that and the state is much more likely to want to control religion. Um, Similarly, the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse, and we've seen Cardinal Pell um, charged just this week um, stories like that. Why give religious people freedom when they um, use that freedom to abuse uh, and then to cover up that abuse? Uh, again, in the name of religion, that cover-up being done. Um, see, that's the, this is the milk at work. You know. Like we smell, we think it's bad, we want to control it. Um, third reason why religious freedom is being restricted, Uh, I think a lot of times um, people are happy for people to do religious stuff if it's private. So you can have your own belief, but as long as it stays in a private part but not a public kind of way. Uh, So Andrew Denton, uh, who's leading the, the case for euthanasia in Australia, says to Catholic MPs, you need to not take part in this debate. Your beliefs disqualify you because you can't be good Australian citizens working out good law because you're actually just working according to a religious agenda. So be honest about your bias. You can't take part in that debate because you have beliefs, which are different from mine. Um, and, you know, they're religious beliefs and therefore um, they're out. Um, and, of course, the, the fourth reason... Uh, uh, is the growing clash there is between freedom of belief and progressive equality, uh, sexual freedom kind of rights. So whether that's most notably in the same-sex marriage debate, uh, but also in uh, transgender rights, that's kind of the next wave that's coming through at the moment, there's a change that's taking place in the, in the law, but also popular culture, where what really counts is... Um, dignity and a person's dignity rights. And, and we really want to stop people speaking in ways that would harm others and challenge that kind of dignity. And the law's got a greater obligation to protect that than it would be to allow people to speak in ways that, that are reflective of their beliefs. Now, that, that's a hugely big topic. And next week, you're coming to same-sex marriage as well. So I'm just saying it's, it needs much more than that. We'll hear more next week, um, but in terms of religious freedom uh, is certainly is one of the areas that's most kind of contested at the moment. John Howard last week, freedom of religion and expression both assumed as givens in Australian society are under increasing assault from those who proclaim themselves as warriors for tolerance and inclusion. I think politically that's a fair kind of judgment um, so what do you do when this stuff's happening, Where, and when it's changing so kind of fast? I want to suggest some things not to do, right? So first, don't do this, and then we'll get to some do this. Uh, don't do this. Don't don't go the way of nostalgia, um, thinking, if only we could kind of go back to the 90s, or whatever retro decade it is that you kind of want to appeal to and you find attractive, you know? Uh, it's It's... That's not the solution. We don't have time machines. It's not going to happen. We're called to be faithful where we are. Second thing is denial. You know, don't think naively that, oh, nothing's changed. This has always been like this. No, no, things are changing. Uh, it's not that just here. Like, things are taking place which, which are big and, and need to be dealt with. Third wrong response, I think, is Fear. Now, it's understandable that people get alarmed at change and they think, oh, what's going on? And and what's the future going to look like for our kids and the world that they might grow up in? But again, we've got to resist that alarmist kind of thing. I'll say why in a a moment. The fourth thing is is kind of that ugly tribalism that is so concerned with protecting our own rights that we forget about kind of loving our neighbour, that we think it's all about me and my rights and it's got nothing to do with um, the world around us that we're called to love. Um, Another wrong response, despair. There's nothing we can do. It's hopeless, you know? And, And then the next one from despair is that, well, the one thing we can do is within the church. So we'll give up on out there, but we'll look to have a nice thing happening in here. This will be a safe kind of space. That's that monastic kind of impulse, I think, that we have. Um, the better way, and we'll see this as we quickly go to Acts, is the way of faith, hope and love. Faith that God is in control, that as circumstances change, he's the Lord of history. Um, the hope that says, we know the one who holds history in His hands, who's good and loving and has actually spoken in ways that are compelling and His Spirit applies that to the hearts of people today. And the way of love that says we're not just going to grasp after power and think it's all about us, but instead we want to sacrificially give ourselves in service of others. We actually want to get out into the world to engage with it. Um, And the reason that we might be concerned about this is that we don't want to see laws come up which would stop us doing that, which would say you can't have someone with religious beliefs going into a school. You can't have a soup kitchen if it... Um, has these kind of things attached uh, to it. Uh, love uh, is the better way. You, you see these things taking place in Acts. Peter and John there before the Sanhedrin, it's easy afterwards to say, well, of course they acted in this kind of way. It's harder to see that. In fact, they must have been terrified. This was the group that had given Jesus over to Pilate to be killed. Uh, this was the group who had all the power, all the, all the levers of the law, Uh, had them in prison, had them brought before them and ordered them not to speak. Said to them, you must not speak anymore uh, in the name of Jesus. And really interesting there, isn't it? That it's not, uh, in, in some ways, they could have had their own belief. Peter and John, have your belief, meet with the group that you've already got, go into your upper room, do your thing, but don't speak with others. You know, the way for you to be safe and to get out of this is to give up the public square, is to disengage, is to, is to kind of step back at that point, to stop being kind of missionaries and to start being monks. But what is it that Jesus had just said to them uh, as he departed to be with the Father? He will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. He'd said that the Spirit would enable them to speak and to be the witnesses to him, that he was alive. And we are still called to that same resurrection faith, to that same public faith. And genuine Christian faith is always public. That's why Andrew Denton's misunderstood it. It's never private because Christ is Lord of all and He's the risen Lord of all. And so as we speak, we do so as people who have that um, confidence but also that mission. We've got to do it humbly and appropriately and graciously uh, but there's, not a, there's no Christian option that says, well, we'll give up on kind of doing that. Um, as Peter goes and he speaks uh, before the believers there, and you see this from uh, verse 27, he reflects on uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. See, there he takes those words and says... What, what he's just experienced before the Sanhedrin is Psalm 2 being fulfilled, you know? And, and the, the enemies of the Lord, his anointed one, his Christ, his Messiah, Jesus, well, the Lord is just laughing at that. He, he realises that, that Jesus really is in control and the resurrection is going to show that. And that's the kind of framing and confidence that we need today to realise that whatever struggles we're in, or however hard it might be, whatever situation we're in, know that the Lord has anointed Jesus, that He is the one who is ruling over the nations, and that resistance against Him, um, it can't win in the end. And so the great message, and the great hope, and the great love that flows from the resurrection is one that needs to go out. And the other thing we'd see, and i would just say this quickly as we finish, is that these people aren't to do it alone. You know, you see the gathering there in Jerusalem of um, God's people being changed together, gathering in ways that would turn the world upside down. So there's a challenge for you as a, as a church, I think, uh, to think not just how do I go out into the world and exercise freedom, but how do we together encourage each other in that? How is it that you help the teachers who are here in your midst, know what it means to be faithful in that space. How is it that you pray for your local member? How is it that you feed the poor? How is it that you do those kind of things? Um, the, the response to the census data was alarming. Okay? As people reported what took place in the census, it wasn't just this is taking place, but there was a report in the Herald that kind of says this ought to take place and we should have more of it. You know, we need to shut down religion in the name of secularism. Um, that will not work. Our society is divided between people with very different beliefs and people of no beliefs. Uh, and that the idea that you can have a state that kind of comes in and says, we'll take over all and all must, you know, have their beliefs only privately, it just will not work. Now, more than ever, there's an urgent need for um, religious freedom. For us to understand that we need to stop turning away from our differences and be able to face one another in gracious kind of dialogue. For us to be able to be concerned not just for our own rights, but for the freedoms of others as well. That's why some of the work we do is alongside the Jewish community. It's alongside the Muslim community. Is wanting to um, see that genuinely lived out for the for the benefit of others. Now I might stop there and. We've still got, have we got a couple of minutes for Q&A?
0: We've got a couple of minutes for question and answer. So if you've got a question, just put your hand up. Uh, I'm going to ask one. Um, I understand you helped the Jewish community up at St Ives recently. Yeah. Why was that?
1: Uh, The uh, Jewish community uh, had, uh, they've got a synagogue up there and they wanted to have markers around the synagogue that according to their understanding of the law would allow them to um, fulfill the requirements of the law, they could walk to Sabbath and back, they wouldn't have to stay locked into their houses. I have a very different understanding of how the Old Testament law works. Right? We couldn't be further apart but I want them to have that kind of freedom because their freedom is also our freedom and and when we worked with them and we started talking to the local residents and so we went in front of Karingai Council, said, look, Where's the harm which is being done here? Tell us what the harm is. And at the end of the day, some of those local residents said, well, we just realised that if these poles go up, which were quite harmless and innocuous, if these poles go up, we'll have more Jewish people here. We don't want to have more Jewish people in the area. And at that point, every Christian has to stand up and say, we've we've heard that story before. We we don't want to do that. We want to love our neighbours. Uh, and have a society where people with different beliefs can actually talk about those differences, not a society where, you know, it's just a power play to shut down people who aren't like us. The danger there is real. So, yeah. One over here, Bruce. Hi. Thanks, thanks for that talk. I thought that was great. Um, look, I'm, just a generalisation here. I, it feels to me like the left wing in, in politics in Australia, so the Greens and the Labour... Um, Party have become increasingly secular, while the right-wing, so say the Liberal Party, feels a bit divided to me. And I'm just wondering if you think that what's going on, say, federal politics in Australia is mirroring the change in our society, or they're actually leading our society down that secular path? Yeah, it's a good question. I think your observation is fair. Uh, although I'd say it's, it's the, the secular kind of problem is one in every party, uh, so it's it's not a left-right issue. If it was, it'd be simpler. But it's it's everywhere, um, and I think they're following, not leading. Yeah, and I think um, Christians can't be captured by uh, a conservative political force. You know, we we need to say being Christian is not the same as being conservative, um, and I think more and more we're going to have to think very sharply about that because it's easy for people to get angry and to think, well, if they're going to do that, then I'm going to go for the loudest, angriest kind of voice in response. Yep.
0: We've got two over here, Ken and then...
1: Is it possible that the decline in people who identify as Christian is a reflection of the failure of some of the, pra- of the practice of some of the Christian church rather than as a result of the activism of the uh, progressive intellectual secular left? Uh, yes, yeah, well, if you heard me suggesting the latter, I, I wasn't. I, I'm saying those things go together, but I'm not saying it's, they cause it at all. No. Uh, and yes, I think the church needs to look at its own house. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, one with, last one. Oh, sorry. With the focus on religious freedom, can we expect to see um, leaders in the Anglican church step up and sort of address vacuums, like take Margaret Court issue, for example? Nobody seemed to respond in the public um, arena. So can we expect to see more of that?
1: Without uh, look, I think we I think we are seeing um, more Christians realising that they'll need to step into these kind of areas. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, I think because it is a growing area, we just can't afford to be quiet on it. And it's tricky when it is something which is a divisive kind of issue and where there's a lot of heat and Twittersphere is going crazy. Like, it just, in terms of straight media, sometimes it's hard to cut through on that, which is why I think some of the work we want to do is helping people ahead of issues. So rather than just being a reactive kind of force, which we need, we need to be able to respond, for people to actually positively go out and make the case for the kind of things we're doing. So I'm hoping today is part of that story, but that we encourage one another in that. Um, and the thing that makes a difference, really, um, I, I don't know as much about media and, and stuff as politics, but I know in politics, like you, the, um, they kind of expect, the leaders of parties kind of expect to get the phone call from the archbishop or the letter or, well, of course they would say that, wouldn't they? Um, it's another thing for them to understand that these kind of issues are engaging at a local level, you know? Um, so when you're hearing um, uh, that the Archbishop writes something in support of an asylum seeker, well, you know, the Immigration Minister yeah, well, of course he will. But when local names get added to a petition like this, that's all counted and measured and, and it's heard and people realise, oh, actually, this isn't just an Archbishop, but it's all of us. So I'd encourage us to keep thinking very much local Um, grassroots and to see the power of that um, and that's something that can really make a huge difference Um, and to pray for the Archbishop and others as they do a very difficult job of speaking into what can quickly be misunderstood in media grabs. Thanks
0: Mike. I'm going to say, we're going to pause there. Can I get you to thank Michael for coming? Massive area. Uh, if you want to talk with Michael afterwards, he'll be available. Um, there's a postcard up the back with details about his ministry, Freedom for Faith. Please do grab one. But we're now going to transition to communion and celebrating and remembering what's at the heart of our faith.